Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. I'm Jesse Mayer, and I am your host. The Salty Pastor is all about you finding your purpose in life so that you can be the salt in the world. We do this in two basic ways. First, we do a deep dive each Tuesday into specific passages in the Bible. The more you know and understand the New Testament, the more you will understand your faith. Second, every Thursday, we take the biblical principles found in the Bible and then apply them to your everyday life. Our goal is to give you the tools in which you are able to know the status of the world in which you live and the best way you can navigate it. So let's welcome our very own Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peake. <laughs> Greetings. We come to the close of our study on the book of Galatians. This is our last podcast yep. in our series, Seven Rules for Life, studying mm-hmm. the book of Galatians, like mm-hmm. you said. And we're going to try something a little bit different now. Pastor Doug has a bunch of practical principles from Paul. So we're going to call these the <laughs> triple P. The triple P. You know how um, on the Food Network you can watch, is it Guy Fieri and he has triple D? Yes. So I... I like that show. Well, we can go. We can go even further. We can do uh, five P's. Pastor Peaks. Practical, <laughs> practical principles, principles from Paul. From Paul. <laughs> Man, so what would we call that? Quad P. Uh, what's five? <laughs> five is quince. Quince. Quince P. Quads four. So Quincy P. Oh, this is getting really is weird. Getting fast. Weird. Okay. <laughs> Awkward. Um, So do you want to talk to us about the what you're thinking with this? Well, I think, remember, before we do these, the overall principle in this entire book was found in verse 1 of chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm. Hmm. And he's basically telling them from very early on, if you remember in the first chapter, that uh, someone has persuaded you. And then he says later on, you were running so well, someone cut in on you. You guys are trying to do two things that don't fit. So he's talking about this whole notion that don't succumb to the persuasions and the pressure and the convincing arguments to leave basic faith in Jesus Christ. And so I love uh, chapter two, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. So the whole point of all this is that we remember we are free in Christ and these practical principles are for where we need to stand firm in our culture today. So I'm just going to read these. Um, You kind of send them to me in advance and then have you expound on them a little bit. Okay, great. Awesome. So here we go. Uh, Number one. This feels like a countdown. What is it? VHS? Top top 10 list. Uh, Number one. (laughs) Number one. Know your purpose and live your purpose. Yeah. um, Like I just said in chapter two, verse 20, uh, Paul writes, uh, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life right now. I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, bam, that's your purpose. Live for it. Your purpose should be Jesus Christ and to know him. And this should uh, influence every area of your life. Uh, last year, the pandemic came. COVID came. I believe that it was something that was serious, obviously needed to be dealt with seriously, but I also believe that the absolute hysteria was 
unbelievable you mean in our meeting mass and press. buying of toilet paper was that's <laughs> yeah that's just symptomatic and i don't blame people for doing that because the media was just going nuts and of course they don't know anything and so uh in it was in a political year and so people use any situation to advance their political agenda regardless of what their political agenda is that's just an altruism of politics right so it was just hysterical and people uh, really had their faith shaken. I, I, I know of people who were thinking of not being Christians anymore because, you know, their church didn't take a stance on uh, on COVID or masks or whatever. I, I know a lot of people, their churches can, were so fearful, they closed. I mean, they literally closed as a church and didn't tell anybody anything they just yeah they did and they didn't do anything and you know i was like um it's just sad to say and there's there's some reasons for this i think number one first and foremost is that people sometimes forget that jesus christ is your purpose so live for jesus you've been crucified with christ you don't live anymore but christ lives in you that's the principle the second principle is is that because there seems to be no interest in in history and what it means to follow Jesus throughout the centuries. You look back in the first 300 years, and we've talked about this on the podcast, and that is during, during COVID, all, all it did is just say, well, we're going to be a first century church again. It's basically the same thing. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, and they didn't have Amazon, Zoom, or anything else to, to, so, to make it work. Yeah, it's just simply, oh, we got to pivot and redirect, right? So you got to know your purpose and live your purpose. If you don't, then the fear from this other side that Paul calls the flesh is going to drive your attitude. It's going to drive the way you think. It's going to drive your behaviors. And you're going to end up reaping what you sow when you do that. So know your purpose. Live your purpose. Never forget it. Number two. Uh, strengthen your code of honor. Yeah, men and women alike need a code of honor. What's yours? You need one, what is yours? I bet I want you to know you already have one, whether you know it or not. Now, your code of honor is comes from somewhere. And my question is, is it built on a biblical frame of reference? What in the world does that mean? Well, basically it means, do you have a realistic view of what a human being is and, and what this reality is? all about this is what all philosophy is all about this is when you go back and you read all the classics in philosophy and you go back and you read all of the religious leaders and the various religions and stuff like that they're all trying to answer a very important question and and that is what is real what is this reality and so a, a biblical frame of reference basically says, I believe there's a God and I believe what God says about time and space. I believe that, you know, what God says when he says this is a cause effect uh, reality in which we live, mm. uh, that time we're locked into time. I believe God when he describes what a human being is. And I believe this is one of the reasons why I am so convinced about Jesus Christ is because I I can find nothing even close that describes the human condition better than Jesus. Not, not only is he God and not only did he die on the cross for our sins and take our place and buy us back, but when you know him, you start to realize he knows 
what a human being is. It's our challenges and all these kinds of things. So your code of honor reflects this. And your code of honor, you need to realize, is it based on a worldly sense of virtues or is it based on godly or biblical worldview? You know, do I really understand what makes human beings tick? Do I understand what a human being's challenges are? The obstacles we face both outside and internally. Do I understand the strengths of what it means to be a human being? Your code of honor is your commitment to yourself to become the person that you were meant to be. Now I wanna say that again, because I think it's really important. Your code of honor is your commitment to yourself to become the person you know you were meant to be. Now, if you haven't worked through principle number one, know your purpose and live your purpose, which is Jesus, then number two, you're never going to figure out the person you're meant to be, right? Because you're gonna live with false realities, false identities, false virtues. And that's a whole lot of falsehood going on right there. Well, and it's, it's basically, like you said, you, if you don't know who you're supposed to be, then you don't know the right. path to get there. And yeah. so, and that's what the code of honor really does is it gives you a path. It gives you a set mm-hmm. of rules kind of not that, you know, we've talked a lot about not like being slaved by enslaved by your rules, but, but really understanding what you're trying to do with your life and how you're yeah. going to get there. Uh, what a great the point that is. Conditioning. Yeah. It's like this. It's like, well, can I follow rules and find out my purpose? No, but you can find your purpose in faith in Christ. And then you have all of these guidelines and rules that help you discover this new identity. So, and that's called your code of honor. It's like, these are the things that I'm going to live for. And everybody has one, you know, and everybody tries to live by them. And some of them are really messed up and confused. All, all I can think about when you say guidelines is Pirates of the Caribbean, when Johnny Depp's talking about the Pirates Code and they're like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's more, more like, like guidelines. guidelines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's so funny because Jesus even brings that. He, he talks about thieves and stuff. He goes, they even have guide. You know, they even have a code. Yeah. A code, you know, they watch out for their own. So uh, the bottom line is, is your, your code of honor needs to be strengthened because what you're doing is you're being proactive. You know, Pastor Harv said this to me the other night, and I, I think it's brilliant and it's worth saying. He goes, you know, so much of, of what human beings deal with and their insecurities and all of these things could be solved simply by moving from reactive living to proactive living. Mm. And I go, boy, that is profound. I got to remember that. And he's so right because you've got to go proactive. Well, what is proactive living? It's called your code of honor. Go out and live that thing, strengthen it. And you are going to find your life changed. And guess what? You are not going to live in fear. Your purpose is not going to be undermined. And you're going to have a whole level of confidence and courage and emotional strength that you never knew you had. So number three says, your body, your flesh is not evil. <laughs> You've probably read that and go, what in the yeah. Sam is he talking about? <laughs> well, here's the deal. Uh, let me give you just a real quick one down. And that is, is that uh, Socrates was Plato's master. All right. But we don't have anything that Socrates actually wrote because Plato recorded the, his stuff, the Socratic uh, dialogues and his trial and the fact that he actually you know, ends up drinking the poison to kill himself. Plato recorded records all that. And then Plato wrote a whole bunch of his other stuff. We have Aristotle. We have um, a lot of these classic uh, uh, Greek philosophers. And they were in about the fourth century BC. So this is like 300 years before Christ was born. 
And one of the things that they came up with, and this actually infiltrated into Christianity, and this is why the Apostle John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, was to refute something called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism comes from this Socratic and this Platonic notion of idealism. Some people call it dualism. And basically it was this, that the spirit this ideal out there is perfect. The heavens are perfect. And the flesh and material world is evil, right? Right. And so Gnosticism said, oh, so when Paul's talking about your flesh versus your spirit, this is exactly what we were talking about, you see? And so what they tried to do is they tried to morph it into, and this became the Gnostic influence in the church. And this is a misunderstanding of what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying that material world is evil. He's not saying all your flesh is evil. What he's saying is uh, everything your body desires is not wrong. His point is simply this. Your body is a body. And if your behavior is a certain way, you're going to program this body to desire the wrong things. So he sees it almost in the fleshly world, if I can use this illustration, is that your body is basically a computer and you program it. Right. You know, and so he's saying, look, if you live for orgies and sexual immorality, what does your body crave more? You know, it craves more of that. We talked about pornography in one of the messages, and that is for guys. And that is, is that you see pornography and you start to get hooked. What do you, what does your body do? Your body craves more. And what's interesting is this was uh, another Greek philosopher, a classic by the name of Aristippus articulated this thing about the whole point of life. And so this goes back to your purpose. You know, do you understand the reality? And he says, well, this reality that we live in is purely the point of human existence is pleasure. You see, your body has, seeks pleasure. Therefore, that's the goal, point, and purpose of life. So go out and get as much pleasure as you want. And he is called the father of hedonism. Okay, that's what it is. And so what he did is he, he postulated that. Well, then Plato comes along and Aristotle comes along and says, yeah, that's just illogical because the bottom line is the law of diminishing returns. And that is your body you might think it desires things, but you get some of it. And what happens is you develop a tolerance to it. Right. And it's, it's that way. If, if, you know, when you're 20, you know, or 15, you get a headache, you take half an aspirin, man, I'm great. You know, when you're 55, you're taking five or six just to take the edge <laughs> off. Right. Cause your body builds a tolerance to that same thing sexually, same thing with food, same thing with this. You know, if your goal in life is to eat, to be full, then the amount to feel full is always going to increase. increase. If if you are uh, in drinking, you know, when you start drinking to get your problems away, what do you have to do? You have to drink more. more. Drugs you take, more. more. Sexuality, sexual immorality, you need more. more. It's so exciting, you know, when I flirt with, with, you know, if you're married and you think, wow, it's so exciting to flirt with girls or to see this or to do that. Well, then that's not enough. Then you take it to the next step and you take it, take it to the next step. And I would just like to say something really, really salty. And that is I have had hundreds of men come in and sit down who've done things to just blow up their lives, blow up their marriages. And they look at me and they say, I have no idea how I got to this spot. And I'm like, yes, you do. You're lying to yourself. Right. You think all those little dalliances, instead of a prick of your conscience to get you back on track, you took it as an adrenaline rush. You loved it and you wanted more. 
Hmm. So you can you can say I don't know how I got here, but that's that's uh, you know when a guy does that, you're being a weak man. You're weak. You're a victim of your own stupidity. You're being weak. You know, man up and say I know why I'm here. I know why I got here, and it's my own fault. Now that may sound harsh if you're listening to this, but what the world has done is lied to you so you don't understand why that's the most empowering, freeing, masculine thing you will ever do is realize, wow, I'm taking responsibility for my life. And then only then will you discover your purpose. Only then will you be free. Only then will you understand the depth and overwhelming love that God has for you because you realize what he went through and what he did to save you but the reason why so many guys never get that is because they never take responsibility for that and so what I really wanted to point out was this is that your body is a computer and you program it and that's what Paul is saying if you live with debauchery if you live with anger if you live with malice your body is just gonna want what more more and then we're like I, I can't even control myself anymore and so your body, your flesh is not evil. It's just a machine. So program, don't look at your desires because the other side of this coin is this, is, you, is once you, like I used on Tuesday, once you're an athlete and you get your body in shape, what's the most important thing to do? Listen, Listen to, to your body. Yeah, when your body says, hey, I need more protein and you're, you know, 3% body fat and you're, you know, playing linebacker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, what do you do? You listen to your body. You say, boy, I need more of this. I need to change my diet. You know, a lot of people have opinions about uh, Tom Brady. I just want you to know I'm going to be neutral on that so I don't create controversy. <laughs> That's not very salty, <laughs> is it? But I can tell you this. No one has done physically what he's done. Nobody's done it. To go to 10 Super Bowls and win seven, I mean, that is monumental. And that guy is over the top restrictive on his diet. I mean, he knows exactly what he eats and what he consumes. You see, what, he's, what is he doing? He's programming his body to want the right things. When you get in shape, you start not wanting things that are bad for you. You start wanting better and more nutritious foods. Listen to this. When you get into a covenantal, guys, I want you to hear this. When you get into a covenantal relationship with a woman that where God gives his yes to your yes and you build that, then your sex life will be something that you never imagined or could you will be more fulfilled and more rich because what you're doing is you're programming your body to desire righteousness and God created sexual intimacy to be righteous. That's why I tell guys, look, don't follow the world's path because now you're going to program your body to want the wrong things instead of the righteous things. So your body's not evil. But what happens is your behavior and your false beliefs and false virtues, your false identities are going to program it to want the wrong things. And that's Paul's point. So let's move on to our next point. Uh Point number four, don't use worldly principles or techniques to grow. Yeah, okay, this, this, is, a, this is a perfect example. Is this like self-help books? Yeah, 
Self-help books are no help at all. And we live in a world and therefore we use this stuff in the world, okay? There's a tons of stuff I love about living in this reality. And like I just said, all flesh, all material stuff is not evil. My body isn't evil, you know? Now, it can want to do evil things. It can want to desire those things, but that's mostly because I programmed it to do that. What I think is really important is there's things about this world that I love. I enjoy this world, but we must be careful to avoid using the world's techniques or virtues or principles in order to grow spiritually or encourage others to grow spiritually. And this is, this is really, really important. And that is, is that in the past, the church at times has tried to play the Holy Spirit. People try to do this. And that is, they try to convict the world of its sin by shaming people, mm. right? So uh, this was probably about 15 years ago. I had a lady come up to me in the church and she said to me, the word, the Lord has given me a word for you. So my ears pricked up at that because it says, you know, is someone going to give you a prophetic word? You should listen and then work through it. Right. So she says something about about uh, something what I was doing. And then she said this. She goes, the Lord wants you to know that that you are going to be judged for this and you should be ashamed of yourself. And when she said that, I looked at her and I said, ah, you just told me you don't have the gift of prophecy. So nothing you say is valid. You see, what, what she did is she, she doesn't have the gift of prophecy. So she doesn't know what it really is. <laughs> right. And, and the issue is, is Jesus Christ specifically said that your job in the world as a church is to proclaim the truth, right? And to preach the gospel, to love and disciple one another, to follow my commands. That's your job. Your job is not to convict the world of your sin. I will send a helper. I will send the Holy Spirit and it will convict the world of its Sin, And so what has happened is when the church uses worldly techniques to try to grow, I believe it always interferes and undermines the message. And that's why, you know, people say, well, I don't want to go to church because it makes me feel guilty. Well, people feel guilty for two reasons. One, you feel guilty because the Holy Spirit is convicting you of your sin. That's called conviction. That's a good thing. But the other side of it is feeling guilty because you've been shamed is not a good thing. And Satan uses that to trap you from listening to the truth. Right. Now, a perfect example of this today is cancel culture. Everybody talks about cancel culture today. You know, people being deplatformed, people who are being uh, shut up, people who are being fired from their jobs and so forth. And the entire premise of cancel culture is shaming. And people are like, okay, well, why is that? Well, if you go back and you study, and we've talked about this before, the Frankfurt School of Social Theory is a neo-Marxist philosophy, okay? And part of this neo-Marxist philosophy, another communist by the name of Gramsci, he was an Italian philosopher, uh, wrote about what is known as a cultural hegemony. And a cultural hegemony, he writes, and you actually see this in Russia during the height 
of the communist control, the USSR, which doesn't exist anymore. And uh, I read an article by a gal who grew up in it, and she said the power of the Soviet communist state wasn't that the, the fear of secret police coming and arresting you. The fear was your neighbors accusing you of something and then having them come and get you. So the fear was you didn't trust anybody around you. You didn't say anything. You see that in a lot about in China today too. You know, if you go to China, I know people have gone over there, people refuse to talk about the government or politics. And if you get them to make any comment, they only have one thing to say, oh, we love our government. It's the greatest thing ever. That's all they'll say. Um, then you get on secret blogs and you get on these secret uh, uh, sites where they can't track AP addresses and, and then people take these articles and they talk about this stuff. This is how we know that there's a concentration camps going on in China right now with the Uyghurs. And so uh, you realize there's a whole boatload of political opinion in China about mm. their own government. Now, the, the whole thing about cancel culture is that they're trying to use Gramsci's philosophy of cultural hegemony to control what people think, feel, and believe. And what's really interesting is because they uh, are winning a political battle in some ways. Now, that doesn't mean that all Democrats are this, you know, but the influence is stronger over there than it is on the right. Uh, second of all, they do have the media. They have the media hook, line, and sinker. Uh, third of all, this is really important, is uh, President Biden, which is his right, uh, has signed f over 50 executive orders. And one of the executive orders is that the federal government will uh, teach and train critical race theory across the board. And so corporations who are in league with the government are picking this up and running with it as well. And so we're going to see a lot more of that. And so you're going to have to be careful. So the thing is, is that we can't, the church can't use worldly principles or techniques to grow. And you can't either. You can't either. Don't use guilt or shame to grow. Don't react to the stuff that they do out of fear or uh, aggressiveness. You know, don't allow Satan to use point counterpoint to manipulate you. Don't use the worldly principles or techniques to grow. Focus on your faith. Focus on who God has called you to be. Discover your purpose. Strengthen your code of honor. And that's where you'll see things start to change. Uh, our next point you, you wrote down for us was the world is recruiting by using your humanity against you. Yeah, this is, uh, this is, this is really controversial from people who are secularists and atheists and progressive. And so I would give you a little warning about that up front, but the principalities of darkness spend all their energy in recruiting children and teenagers by using this knowledge of the body. And I talked about that earlier in point number three. And so what, what our society does across the board is they try to arouse children and young people sexually and then, then tell them what it means. And so what they do is when you're a child, you don't have sexual arousal, right? But you have a brain. And so what they do is they start putting terminology and words into the brain, okay? Then when you get to the point 
that you were sexually aroused, like maybe 11 or 12 or 13, you go into puberty, your body releases all these hormones, and then it's like, oh my goodness, all this stuff is going on, and you're aroused, you know? Uh, boys wake up in the middle of the night completely aroused and go, oh my goodness, what's this? You know, girls are aroused. And the reason why uh, the principalities of darkness spend all their energy in recruiting children is because if they can create a language in the brain, then when they feel the arousals, they will associate those arousals with what they've been taught in their brain. You know, right. I, I don't mean to simplify it this way, uh, oversimplify it, excuse me, but I'd say it like this. When I learned how to water ski, I had this gal, she's really a great teacher, and she put me back there and she said, okay, do this, do this, do this, right? And so I did that, fell over. I did it again, fell over. And she'd say the same thing over and over again. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And I did it again and again and again. And then suddenly I got up and I was water skiing and I went, oh, that's what she meant. See, I didn't understand it until I could feel it. Right. Right. And as soon as I felt it, what she said makes sense to me. The principalities and rulers of darkness know that they know that about human beings. They do. And so if I can associate in you verbiage that you adopt, when you get to that point of arousal, you're going to associate that arousal and go, oh, that's what this means. Right. This is why uh, California's new sex education requires schools to introduce issues of gender fluidity and sexual expressions uh, in first grade. Hmm. You know, I understand why every single person wants to, you know, move out of California if they have school age children. You know, because how can you afford to send your child to a private school down there? Right. And they demand that they introduce all this stuff and they won't let you opt out anymore as a parent. And so what's happening is they're introducing this language. And so when those kids get to middle school, they have these feelings and these emotions. And so these teachers, and these people go, oh, this is what it means. And you're, as, as a parent, you are so far behind that eight ball, you don't eat, you're playing on a different pool table because that's what's happening in our school system today. Now, I know that a lot of public school teachers go to Foothills Christian Church. I know a lot of uh, school teachers personally. I love them to death. I think they're godly people. But you've been placed, just like Esther, in, in, a, in a position where if you don't start pointing this out and aggressively standing against it, you, you are going to be part of the ongoing problem instead of the solution. Jesus called you to be a follower of him first and a school teacher second. So I say that to spur you to consider that you are in the public education system as a teacher to point out how this is overt social engineering with one design, and that is to recruit kids into these lifestyles. And so I would encourage you to use your position to speak up for the name of righteousness in all of these things. Because your, your response 
uh, as a teacher or as an adult, your response as a parent should be to teach children that you are going to have arousals and these arousals don't necessarily mean anything in particular. It's not, you know, your, your body is getting aroused. That's what happens when you hit puberty. That's very important to understand. So the, the final thing I want to do is tell a little story is that a young lady uh, came to talk to me and she asked me about uh, uh, bisexuality. And she said, I think I'm bisexual. And she says, I feel like I'm attracted to guys sometimes. Sometimes I feel like I'm attracted to girls. And sometimes I don't feel like I'm attracted to anyone. And she goes, I'm not sure what that means. (laughs) And I said, it doesn't mean anything. You're 13. It doesn't mean anything at all. It's just your body is aroused. Your body, you know, it's like, wow. When, when, when I was 13, you know, or 14, you know, as a young male, I had hormones, re- you know, all kinds of things uh, got you aroused and fired up. And, and um, like my body, you know, sometimes my body wants, you know, sugar and sweets and all that kind of stuff because my body gets aroused. That doesn't mean anything in particular. It just is. It's what I choose to do with it. And that's why I tell young people today, you know, if you have arousal towards people, uh, if you have sexual feelings towards people, uh, if you feel awkward as a female or a male and you're not quite sure what society wants, what I try to tell young people is that, that doesn't really mean anything, you know, and, and, but the world wants kids and this is where everything is going today. The world wants to push it down because they are saying, wow, there's all this discrimination going on. And so we are going to push it down as low as we can. Well, the real agenda here is not saving, helping anybody. It's to recruit by creating a paradigm so that they can recruit more people into these sexual expressions that the world wants more of, not less of, because that becomes a false identity the biggest work out there right now that's just being transformational you may never hear of it it's a a gal she considers herself a progressive leftist and she wrote a book her name is abigail shire and she talks about transgenderism among young girls and what's going on there and she says it's absolutely frightening what society and the world is doing she says i have all these moms who went to college she goes all of these moms are politically very left they're very progressive and they are shocked at what's going on, particularly in California with their daughters and, and transgenderism. Uh, it's very important to note that up until about 30 years ago, 25 years ago, maybe even less, is that body dysmorphia is what it was called, was 98% boys between the ages of five and 12. Hmm. And as soon as they hit puberty, guess what? 99% of them outgrew that issue. You know, they, when they're young, they want to dress like girls, act like girls. They hit puberty, boom. They go, well, now what's happening is that they're not growing out of it because people are putting in puberty blockers and hormone blockers. And then, then these kids are just tortured the rest of their life trying to figure out who they are. But um, 
And that's why the suicide rate among transgender males is over 40%. Mm. And nothing changes that. And so the notion that it's society being discriminatory or bigoted towards them is false. It's just a false claim. And in her book, she talks about today, the, the predominant percentage of transgender body dysmorphia is girls. And there was a study by a a professor out of Brown University where they went and studied it and they called it rapid onset body dysmorphia among girls. And they found that girls who spent a lot of time on social media, girls who hung around other girls that, that questioned their gender identity, all of those girls would adopt that same thing. You know, so it was massive. And when the study came out, the author apologized for it and Brown suppressed it. But then they peer reviewed it and they said, you can't suppress this. You have to release it. So it came back out a second time. That's what our world is doing. See, our world is recruiting by using our humanity against us. Instead of having an understanding of what God says who we are, the world is influenced by what Satan says you are. Hmm. Well, we let's do our last point. We're we're very close to the end, so we'll, we might have to fly through these points really quick. But <laughs> okay, um, what uh, point number six was make small changes first. Yeah, do you want to elaborate on that? Well, there are specific things you can do because I, you know people say, well, you analyze it, but then I'm like, ah, what do I do? Uh, so one was uh, build your church. Yeah, uh, there's no organization, institution, movement outside of the church today that is trying to speak authentic truth. And what I mean by that is they have an, a deep and abiding understanding of the space-time continuum, the reality in which we live, as well as an understanding of human nature. Uh, you said build a biblical church. Yeah, just because someone slaps church, uh, the name church on their building doesn't mean their church. And uh, first of all, you have uh, groups of people that say they're a church, but they have no commitment even to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Avoid those churches. You have some churches that are just, they just want to be social organizations. Avoid those churches. Uh, a good church, it's a biblical church, will have a lot of social uh you know, uh, outreach and things of that nature, but that's not what drives it. Right. You know, what drives it is biblical truth. And what is that? Well, it's, this is who God says he is. This is who God says you are. Here's the stuff that really tortures your soul. Here's the stuff that frees your soul. Jesus Christ came to save you from the hell and the torture of being deceived to bring you, you know, you know, and plus in eternity, hell is a real place, right? Right. To save you from that. And so that you can walk in the fullness of who you're meant to be. So uh, remember all that. Follow a biblical church that understands that. Uh, The next point you had written down was educate your children and grandchildren in the most important principles. Yeah, I I think that uh, you should spend all your time, you should spend all your money, you should spend all of your effort in building a context where your children and your grandchildren are not recruited by the world. Now, you don't do this by completely separating yourself from the world. You know, you don't buy 50 acres up there in the Frank Church wilderness (laughs) and build a fence and say, you know, we don't want other human beings. What you could do is you can really talk to them about the the deeper principles of what real life is uh when it comes when they hit puberty talk to your children about arousal differentiate between arousal action and belief simply because you're aroused or you're tempted or you feel a drive towards that that's just normal 
You know, that's just normal. It doesn't really mean a lot. It's when you start taking action on your arousal where you start to take your arousal and you start to turn it into a false identity. See the action. And that's why Paul said, when you act this way in Galatians chapter five, you, you end up in a place where you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So, uh, I think what we ought to do is we ought to help our kids learn from our kids, uh, from the pressures they're facing and try to help them navigate this. So put all your energy into that if you have kids. And then finally, never forget the real enemy. Yeah, you know, when I talk about this, I want to make, you know, I'm talking about people who postulate these things, people who say these things, but I want us to remember a truth. People are not your enemy. It's these ideologies that they carry. If you see people as the enemy, then you can succumb to the world's technique. And that is, my goal is to destroy you as a person. Note, your goal for every person is to see them freed into who Christ has called them to be. And so they're gonna have to deal with their false identity. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts them of their sin, you can't. So. If you see people as the enemy, then you can try and feel like you can destroy them. I read an article today by a guy. His name is Isaac Bailey. He's professor of public policy at Davidson College. And he is uh, what I would consider a kind of one of these progressive type Christian guys. And he wrote this article. And this article is why... Um, uh, let me see. It's in Newsweek magazine. He goes, I'm struggling with my Christianity after Trump. And so what he's saying is that I can't be a Christian anymore because Christians voted for Trump. So you see what he's doing is he's using the world's approach of shaming people. And he's saying, because I'd so strongly disagree with Trump, right? Then anybody who voted for him is evil, right? And because some Christians did, I can't be a Christian. Now, what I would like to postulate is extremely salty, and that is, well, maybe that's because you're not a Christian. Hmm. Maybe because you don't even know what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is a person who follows Jesus, right? And a person who follows Jesus tries to seek and do what he does, and what he says is he's, he goes through there, he goes, I, I can't be a Christian because, you know, Christians are white. And I'm going, well, the New Testament says there's neither slave nor free, male nor female, barbarian, Scythian, we are all one in Christ. We are not allowed as followers of Christ to judge people by the color of their skin or their ethnicity because we're all God's children. That's very specific. Right. He talks about how, he personally wouldn't choose abortion in the article, but he thinks it should be safe and legal. In the New Testament, Jesus said in Matthew 5, you have heard it were said, you shall not murder. Okay, so that's not an option for anybody who wants to follow Jesus. You can't say, and somebody once said it to me this way. He says, you say you want to follow Jesus, but you're constantly arguing with the boss. <laughs> I would postulate you're not a Christian. Is that my judgment? No, I, I can't judge whether you are or not, but I can tell you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven. Not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my father. Hmm. 
So if you have no desire to do the will of the Father, then probably you don't understand what it means to be a Christian. So I would say to Isaac, you need to figure out whether or not you're actually a person who knows who Jesus is. Now, on the other side, I would say this, let us who are trying to follow Jesus not succumb to what this man has done, you know? The people who voted differently than you, the people who have different opinions than you, the people who are trying out different things and postulating, they are not your enemy. Your goal is not to destroy them or hate them. If you do that, you're, get, you're, you're getting pulled down into Satan's playing field and you're going to get wounded and hurt. That doesn't mean you ignore it. You got to figure out a way to influence that and have victory over that. And the best way to have victory over everything that's going on that discourages you in this world is not to use the world's techniques, but to use the techniques that Christ exemplified, taught and preached every moment of his ministry. Remember, Satan is the enemy we the these people are not the enemy however if people insist on being the enemy then we need to act like cops you know we are not weak and we're not going to stand by while someone tries and destroy our families or destroy our faith and you know this is why i love cops and i love how noble cops are what they do they are constantly trained to de-escalate 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 they're constantly trained you know don't ever use you know, excessive force. They're always trying to do, do that. A little bit of the debate right now is, are, are cops uh, taught to be too aggressive or not? Uh, have the debate. Let's keep doing it. But all the cops I know, particularly here in Idaho, constantly taught de-escalate, de-escalate, de-escalate. But if there's somebody who won't de-escalate and that person is an imminent threat to somebody else, they will pull out their gun and they will shoot you. And so people are not... People are not our enemy. Our goal is to de-escalate everywhere. But if you're a part of Foothills Christian Church or you're a part of the Salty Pastor, what you need to understand, though, is that we are not afraid to stand strong and defend the truth and defend people and defend children from what the world is trying to do them at every step of the way. All right. Well, that was all the points we had written down. <laughs> we covered a lot today. We ran wow. a little long, but um, I think as we're wrapping up this series, these were important points that Paul wanted to make. So our, th- our triple P worked out well. So um, we just appreciate you guys joining us. This is the last um, podcast yeah. as part of the seven rules. Yes. And next week we're starting our new series titled uh, Faith and Science. Uh, Do they disagree? And they, I think, based on that uh, question, I think you're going to probably tell us that they don't. But I'll let you expound upon that um, (laughs) just as a sneak preview. But uh, I'm excited for that one because I think there's a lot of time that the culture tells us something different and you're going to bring a new light to that. So I'm excited for that new series. Hopefully you guys will be joining us. And then uh, make sure you guys tune in on Sunday to hear the last sermon on Seven Rules for Life. All right. God bless you guys. And I will see you Sunday.